0: Well, I'm here, which means Dave's not, right? Dave's out of town this week. Um, I'm sure he's visiting family somewhere. I uh, usually make a self-deprecating joke at the beginning of all of my sermons, but Dave told me I'm not allowed to do that anymore because that's like the worst way to start a sermon, apparently. So I'll just say that since the Rams won the Super Bowl... They're making the guy from L.A. preach, and sorry to the Cincinnati guy. So I won the pulpit from the Cincinnati pastor. Uh, But my name's Joey. I'm one of the pastors here. I oversee our uh, 0-12th through grade education as well as our partnership, uh, our membership program here at Grace Bible Church. We're continuing our What's Wrong with the Church series um, from 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter 13 this week, but in this series as a whole, we've been looking back at Paul's letter to the church at Corinth and observing and learning from the lessons that he gave them. Uh, The church at Corinth, like the modern church, struggled with things like pride, um, struggled with things like division. So we've been observing and learning from the lessons that he gave them, uh, and we've been seeking to see through Scripture that the answer is really Jesus. The answer to our problems is Jesus. The answer is not our tribes or our affiliations, uh, or our politics. And last week we talked about unity and diversity in the church. We talked about uh, one body but many parts. And we asked you to do your part. We asked you to follow Jesus with us like we do every week, like Sarah just did. Follow Jesus with us. To so do that um, by gathering in worship, by serving on a team, by joining a small group. We asked you and scripture asked you uh, to partner with us for God's glory And for your good. So we'll continue that today, um, but really, Chris and the band already preached our sermon. So if you were here for that part, uh, then you've heard the sermon, you're dismissed, you can go ahead and uh, just leave. Um, If you weren't here for all of it, I guess you can stay. Uh, We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, so you could turn your Bibles there. Uh, If you're borrowing or you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in the pews in front of you. And the little metal uh, grates in the seat in front of you will be on page 59 or 959 and 960 uh, in that Bible. But before we uh, dive into the Word, I want to tell you a little bit of a story about uh, Nate and his family, the saints. Um, there's a, a movie about it and, and a book written called The End of the Spear. It's about five missionaries who went to Ecuador uh, and they went to go and witness to a tribe of indigenous people who had never heard the gospel, never been contacted by outside people. Uh, But this group of warriors uh, lived in a perpetual state of war and of hate um, for their fellow man. And they were always at war because it showed what type of a person you were, what type of a man you were, if you really hated and killed the tribes who were around you. And so the government was going to send in a group of people to just Uh, take over and and wipe out this tribe. And so this man, Nate Saint, knew uh, with four other missionaries that this may be the only chance for these people to hear the gospel before they're wiped out or they wipe other people out. So he wanted and he made it his goal to reach out to this group of people. So he was uh, an aviator. So he took his plane and his family down to Ecuador and and his team and they flew around uh, searching grid by grid trying to find Uh, Where this tribe may be. And so his son would sit on the radio. Uh, Steve would sit on the radio and listen and do checkpoints with his dad as they're flying by and marking grids. And he'd be searching and searching. And finally, one day, he saw the tribe. Uh, He saw them and he knew that's where they are, that's where they are. And he told them on the radio, we made contact, we found them. And so the next couple days he'd circle by and they made some initial contact with the tribe by dropping gifts and things. And then uh, it was finally the day that they decided to go and fly over and to meet the actual tribe and to land and to have a conversation with them. And so they didn't really know much about the language, but the son was really worried and so he researched and, and found how to say, I am your friend, I'm your sincere friend. So the son Steve tells his dad, Nate, if you run into any trouble, please use the phrase, I am your sincere friend. And so Nate and his fellow missionaries take off and fly, and they land and they make contact with the tribe, and uh, there's actually video footage from their initial interaction, and they kind of have this nice interaction, and the tribe leaves, and they discuss on their own, and then they come back, and they... Uh, kill and murder the missionaries, the five missionaries that were there. Um, so, yeah, here's a, here's a clip from the movie. This is the son, Steve, approaching one of the tribesmen uh, with his spear, quite literally the name, Into the Spear, him at it. And we'll talk uh, more about the rest of that story, but that's how the story starts. He searches and searches and finally finds them, makes contact with them, and the tribe, like it's done to everyone else who's come to try and visit them, uh, kills and murders those missionaries. So let's read from uh, God's Word. If you're able, would you stand with me in reverence and honor for the reading of God's Word? This is the Word of the Lord from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, hopes all things, endures all things, love never ends. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you're good and that you love us. We thank you that we can look to who you are as an example of who we should be and who we can be in you. We ask that you would rebuke us, that you would correct us where we're wrong, and that you would train us. In Godliness, that we could love like you love, that we could love out of the overflowing of the love that you've had for us, the love that you showed us in the cross. We ask that we would love you well, and that we would love our neighbor well. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, there's a, a story, and it's not, we can't prove that it's true, but there's no reason to doubt it. Uh, the Times sent out an inquiry of famous authors Uh, asking the question, what's wrong with the world today? Similar to our question that we're asking uh, in this series, is what's wrong with the church? And what's wrong with the church today? Well, Chesterton responded simply, Dear Sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. So what's wrong with the church? And to be extremely clear, when we're saying this, Christ follower, you are the church. So when we say, What's wrong with the church? You're the church. I'm the church. We're the church if we claim to be Christ's followers. So when we're asking what's wrong with the church, we're really asking what's wrong with me. So that's what we're going to talk about today from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. What's wrong with me? Well, the problem that we'll see in the text from the first three verses is that I'm nothing without love. And from verse 4 through 7, we'll see that I can do nothing without love. So if I claim to be a Christ follower, if I cl- I, then I'm claiming to be the church. But if I don't have love, I'm nothing. And it doesn't matter what I do, what I say, or what I think. If I don't love, if I don't love God, and if I don't love others, I have no real identity. I'm not authentic. I'm nothing, is what Paul says. And he goes on to talk about the way love acts, what love does, right? And so love should change the way that you as a believer think, the way that you as a believer speak, the way that you as a believer act. And without love, again, of God and of others, you don't just lack in your identity, you lack in your ability to do anything of any lasting eternal value. But by God's grace and with his help, I am... And I can do everything in Jesus. And you are, and you can do everything in Jesus. So don't despair. I'm not going to leave you in the pit of I'm nothing, and I can do nothing. And Christ and Paul doesn't do that either. Um, So let's look back to the first three verses. And before we do, I want to actually turn even further back in our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, we'll read verse 1 through 9, and then I'm going to skip ahead a bit to verse 20. And this passage um, is, is labeled the greatest commandment If in my Bible and in some, probably most ESV Bibles, it might say something similar to that. And you'll see that uh, there'll be a section we'll read that talks about what we should do with the commandments. And then we're going to skip the section where he actually talks about a lot of the commandments and then skip down to the bottom starting in verse 20. So follow along with me if you have your Bible. It says, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, And that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your home, in your house." And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorpost of your house and on your gates. What does this have to do with love? These are just rules, right? He goes into the section of all these rules, 9, 10, 11, and on all the way to 20, he says, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies? And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. All these rules. Is there any connection to love? Yeah, sure, it says love the Lord your God, but that's just one of those many commandments that he's giving, right? Well, I don't mean to name drop, but Jesus seems to have something to say about it that was supposed to be funny. I heard somebody else say it. I stole it as a joke, so I'll make sure to write a note not to use that stolen joke again. Um, but in, in Matthew 22, we see Jesus uh, talking to the Sadducees who are asking about the resurrection, trying to trip him up. And then the Pharisees come to him and also try and trip him up. Uh, so Matthew 22, I'm going to read verse 34 through 40. He says, this is uh, talking about Jesus. He says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment, remember, from Deuteronomy 6. And then he says, And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. See, Jesus doesn't just say they're connected. He says, man, this is the summary of the law. The whole law is fulfilled in this right here, in loving God and in loving your neighbor. It's the fulfillment of the whole law And when he says it, he's saying that's the marker of a true Christian. That's the marker of a true Christ follower. It's how non-believers should see you. It's how someone can know you are authentic. It's the fruit you bear. There's a a 1960s hymn that we used to sing when I was growing up in, uh, in my church in, I guess, the 90s. We would sing it, and it went, They will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. And it's again, a marker how non-believers should look at you and see how you love. But what's the problem is that I mess that up, right? And when I mess it up, I'm nothing. That's what's wrong with the church, me. right What's wrong with the world? Me. So Paul here in our text today, First Corinthians chapter 13, he makes the same connection that Jesus makes, and in some, it makes and in some ways, it might seem obvious to you, but it's also kind of hidden and coded in there a little bit of how it works. But you know what? Your kids who are in here or you teenagers who are in here, you might have caught it actually because it's very similar to something we say in impact. Let's look back at verse 1 real quick. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging clinging cymbal. What I say, right? Verse 1. Verse 2, And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith to say to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. The things I think Right And verse 3, if I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. The things I do, right? If you've done impact with us, we say, what's sin? Anything I think, say, or do that displeases God, right? And we say it starts in our heart. Well, he's saying the connection he's making is that if we don't have love, we're nothing. If we don't have love, we're sinning, right? That's the connection he's making. The think, the say, the do, Right? And so in verse 1, as he's talking about the things we say and the actions we make and these big, bold um, uh, worship that these people were doing, right? he says if we do that without love, we're like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And what he's really saying is these pagans, they're using gongs and cymbals in their worship. They're using these brass instruments. And so if you're worshiping and not loving, you're just like the pagans. You're just like everyone else. It's worthless. You're nothing. You don't have that marker of authenticity. You're not authentic. You're not a real Christian worshiper. And he says, without love, that doing or that saying and that thinking, that knowledge and that faith is nothing. It might seem to be good, but it fails. It fails because it's not real Christian worship. It's not authentic. It's not like what Jesus did. And there's a connection here. You know, when we're listening to Paul and we're hearing all of Paul's um, sermons uh, or his lessons here in Scripture, we see Paul talking about faith and the way that we're justified, right? And we often hear, well, Paul says we're justified by faith alone, and James says we're justified by works alone. Well, this is the marrying of the two. This is the connection where Paul's saying, your faith without love, without the work of love, is a dead faith, just like James would have said, right? And this possession giving in verse 3, you know, it's very similar to what we read about Jesus telling the rich young ruler, right? The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, all these laws I've kept since I was young. How can I inherit the kingdom of heaven? What do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus tells him what? Sell all you have, give it to the poor, love them, right? And what? He couldn't do it. So he kept all of the law, but he couldn't love. He couldn't give what he had to the poor. And if he would have done it, he would have done it without love, is what it's saying here, right? It's just like that. The early Christians would have sold their property and given to the needy. This was an actual call to them that even if you're giving away all you have, but you do it without love, you're nothing. It's not authentic. You're not being real. You're not a real Christian. Even if you go so far as to give yourself up to be burned, right? We, we hear that greater love has nothing than a man you know, giving his life for a friend. But man, if you did that without love, how sad would that be? That would be so sad to give your life up just in pride without actual love. I have a picture of um, Knock Off Beats by Dre. If you were ever deployed to Iraq or Afghanistan, you may have purchased some drop- Knock Off Beats by Dre. And I polled in first service. Anybody who's been deployed before, have you ever bought... Any knockoff headphones when you were deployed? One hand, two hands, three hands, four, five. Yes, okay. First service, no one raised their hand, and I was so upset because I was like, this was a big deal when I was deployed. On both of my deployments, everyone was about buying the knockoff Beats by Dre. And why? They were actually pretty good headphones. Like, I was impressed with them. We bought them. We used them to wear them into the gym uh, when we were working out. We bought them and we wore them uh, when we wanted to ignore the incoming sirens so that we didn't have to run to the bunker. Sorry, I didn't hear it. I had my headphones on, right? Um, but we bought them because they they were pretty good and we were pretty impressed with them. And I'm telling you, everyone everyone bought them. Um, but the thing is, they weren't real, right? They were pretending to be something that they weren't, and even though they weren't real and they were pretty good and seemed almost like the real thing, you want to know when I realized they weren't the real thing? I had a friend who didn't buy into the hype, and he did not buy the fake Beats by Dre. Instead, he actually went on Amazon and bought the real thing. He bought real Beats by Dre, and actually, we all made fun of him because he bought them, and he was they were expensive, and, you know, we were buying headphones for like 20 bucks, and he spent, I don't even know how much real Beats by Dre cost, $100, hundreds of dollars, I don't know. But when he got that package and he opened them and showed them off to all of us, man, you could feel how real those, those ear cups were. They just felt so nice. And the plastic didn't feel like it was going to break when you were opening and closing them to put them on. And the sound, the bass in those headphones, the real thing was so much different than that fake, not authentic Uh, replica, or as you saw on the slide, copy uh, Beats by Dre that were 15 bucks. But I I say all that to say that it's tough to think about that and then think about us, that we can be that replica, we can be that copy, we can be that fake, non-authentic, don't have the actual Beats by Dre mark, don't have the real Christian mark on our lives. We have that fake B with the little monster logo in it or whatever it was that made us know for sure they weren't real. But Uh, It's tough to hear that. It's hard to hear that I'm nothing and that I'm not good enough. But without love, it's the truth. I'm nothing and you're nothing. We're not authentic. We're not being real Christians without love. So what does real love look like? Let's look at verse 4 and read verse 4 through a little bit of verse 8 again. It says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's quite a list, isn't it? Anybody got it all down pat? You're good, like the rich young ruler. I've followed the law. I've done this. You haven't, because you can't do it. In fact, you can do nothing. On your own. Nothing that has eternal value, lasting value, can't do it. Because sin causes us to crave this dramatic showiness, right? What we talked about, but it's worthless. Verse 1 through 3, right? Those spiritual depl- displays, they're nothing if we can't love our neighbor. They're nothing if we don't love God. We cannot do good. We can do nothing without His love overflowing out of us. This love right here in verse 7, that screams of eternity, right? That screams of what God looks like. What Chris was telling you earlier, he read this passage and he said, this is what God is. God is love, and this is what love looks like. So we can't do it on our own, but for all of eternity, love is going to be the appropriate response to the love that we received from Him, right? So we can't do it on our own, but we can do it in Him. In Him, we can be something, and we can do something Of lasting value. Because love changes the way a believer thinks, says, and does things. Uh, And without love, loving God and loving others, we'll lack not just our identity, but we'll lack our ability to do anything. So as we seek to grow in love, we must always keep Christ's saving work in clear view, since Scripture consistently treats this as the ultimate demonstration of love. It's the love demonstrated in this chapter, mirroring Christ's love. Like the love that doesn't insist on its own way, like Christ in the garden, who said, not my will, but your will be done, right? It's the love that doesn't count evil, but instead, it, count, it looks at Christ and sees his perfection counted on our behalf. I have a picture of a kid banging on pots and pans. You have that? Yeah. Man. This image to me is so strong because this kid thinks he's a superstar. He thinks he is a great musician. He's a professional drummer. And you know what? He even has a fan club cheering him on. Mom is cheering him on and, and letting him think that he's real. But really though, he's, he's just a kid banging on pots and pans. He's, he's a kid. Well, he's in the living room. I was going to say in the kitchen, banging on pots and pans. And it, it reminds me of my son too, Joseph. He loves to play Chris. He loves to pretend to be Chris. He'll grab his little ukulele and pretend it's a guitar, and he'll stand up on the fireplace, and he'll play and sing songs, but he can't do the real thing. He can do it, nothing, and that definitely has no eternal value. It might be cute. It might be cute, and it might be a little entertaining even, but really, they're just banging on pots and pans in the kitchen. He's just playing with the strings and has no clue what he's doing. It has no... Lasting value because it's not real. It's not authentic. Because without love, I can do nothing of real eternal value. I can't be patient. I can't be kind. I I might do a decent job sometimes, but I'll envy. I'll boast. I'll be arrogant. I'm going to be rude. I'm going to despise the truth. I'm not going to bear with others. I'm not going to believe all things. I'm not going to hope all things. I won't endure because I'm nothing Without love. But when we're loved by God, it changes everything. It changes who we are, and it changes what we do, right? So it changes us from being fake to being authentic. When we're loved by God, it changes us from being pot bangers to being real drummers. You can be a real musician. The overflow of God's love in you. You cannot just bang pots and pans in the kitchen, but you can be the authentic real thing, and you can really, truly play the drums. God's love can overflow from you and become a love for others, a love for your neighbor. So what does this look like in your life? Well, we had the men's breakfast, uh, not yesterday, but a week ago yesterday, and one of the men there was given an example of, of how he describes time, and he said, uh, how do you spell, or how, sorry, I just gave away the end of the thing. How do you spell love, he said time you spend time with your family with your friends that's one of his examples for love and i think as you trust god's love for you as you love him and you love others you let your identity and your actions be like i've been saying an outflowing of god's love for you you do that by then adjusting the things you think to say you do to honor god to be done in love in the way you respond to your siblings kids the way you respond to your parents the way you respond to your children and your friends, right? How does God's love for you shape all of your interactions? I want to go back um, to the story uh, of Nate and Steve um, Saint, the story of the Ecuadorian tribe, uh, and as he, his son Steve, is is very you know um, upset about his dad leaving, and he knows that this tribe often kills people, and that's part of why he asked him to learn that phrase, why he learned the phrase, um, I am your sincere friend in their native tongue, because he wanted them to know that he was there to be friendly. He didn't want them to kill him. And the boy knew that his dad kept guns in the airplane, that the guns were there to protect him from wild animals and, and to be able to hunt if they needed to hunt while they were out for too long. And he knew he kept guns, and the son asked the dad, If the tribe attacks you, will you shoot them? Will you protect yourself? And this is how he responded. He responded by saying, do you have that slide? He responded by saying, son, we can't shoot the Waldani. They're not ready for heaven. We are. That's what Nate said to his son, Steve. And his son remembered that years later when he recounted the story. And his son actually and his mother went back after after Nate was killed and the other missionaries were killed, and they went to the tribe and they joined the tribe and they spent time with them and they shared Christ's love with the tribe and they helped the tribe to get through sickness and outbreaks and the tribe was so confused. They were confused why this family would come and spend time with somebody who murdered their father. They knew that it was their dad of that boy that they killed and they knew that that was the wife of the man that they killed. And they couldn't understand why he did it. And we don't really know in the story why the tribe why it, why it affects the tribe so much that they loved them until uh, later on in the story. That picture I showed you in the beginning of the man holding the spear up against uh, the, the native is a picture of the son grown up, come back, and the man from the tribe takes him to the place where the father was killed. And he tells him, I am the one who killed your father. I did it. Take your revenge. And in his anger, he grabs a spear and he holds it up. And the son, Steve Saint, looks at him and he says, you didn't kill my father. He gave his life up for you. He loved you like Christ loved. And so that tribe went on to all love Jesus. This man Changed the tribe, changed a nation of people, really, a, a native tribe, and the way they loved. They were an angry, hateful people who thought war was the answer for how to prove that you were a real man, a real person. And instead, they learned that it's really Christ's love that changes people. And they actually went on to come and do witness and mission work here in the States and to make that movie, to tell that story because they saw what was wrong with the world, that it was me. And that it was you. So what's wrong with the church? Me. You. It's us. We're what's wrong with the church. We fail to love God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And we fail to love our neighbor as ourselves. We allow our tribes and our politics to define us. And we allow pride and division to infiltrate our relationships with God and with others. We may try to do the right thing, and we may try to act the right way. But without love, we're nothing and we can do nothing, but because God sent his son to become a man, because he lived a perfect life on our behalf, because he took the punishment for our sin, because he died the death that we deserved, because God accepted his sacrifice, and because Christ loves us, because he's the great I am, I am, and I can, and you are, and you can. So by God's grace and with his help, we can be something, and we can do something. We can love him, and we can love others. Let's, let's pray together. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that you are the reason that we are anything, that you are the great I am, that you are the great lover and the great doer. We ask that because you love us, that we would love others. We ask that we would love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that would be an outpouring of that, that we would love our neighbor as ourselves. We ask for your help because we can do nothing on our own because we are nothing on our own. But Lord, you help us. We ask you to be our help and to be our strength. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.